Money FM 89.3. Best of breakfast. Breakfast special. Welcome to the Breakfast Show's Environment Special Climate Connections. My name's Sean Lum. I am a lecturer at the NTU Asian School of Environment. I'm a botanist and forest ecologist, and I, together with colleagues, uh, have been studying this patch of the Bukitima Forest in great detail for 30 years, since 1993. The history of this is actually quite interesting. A professor named Stephen Hubble, back in 1980, was really interested in understanding how these tropical forests worked in a way that could be modeled and, and looked at mathematically. And the only way you could do that would be to have like, lots and lots of data. So that meant large plots, lots of trees, sampling down to really small sizes. The tr tradition at that time was for foresters really just to look at trees that could provide timber. But Steve Hubble, as an ecologist, thought, no, that's not insufficient. We really need to measure down to a small size. So that gave birth to what was called, at that time, the Center for Tropical Forest Science. Today, it's called the Smithsonian Forest Global Earth Observatory, Forest Geo and the Bukitima is part of that network. It was this, this plot was established in 1993, along with a host of sister plots in the region, whether in Sarawak, the Philippines, Thailand, uh, Sri Lanka, Southern India, all established around the same time in the early 90s. We measure them, identify them, indicate on a, we give them you know, XY coordinates so that we can map them, and we go back in five years, do it all again. And that would tell us what are called the dynamics of the forest. Over the last 30 years, scientists like Dr. Sean Lum returned to the same plots in Bukitima Nature Reserve at five-year intervals. By the fourth census, they started seeing trends and were able to gather data, such as the type of species that survived, which part of the forest they preferred, as well as how they reacted to changes in weather conditions. So forests do migrate, but they migrate over centuries. And so if you go to some of the largest rainforests today, like the Amazon, maybe 10,000 years ago, the Amazon was not this one big continuous rainforest. It was pockets of this rainforest that were confined to the sort of wetter, more humid areas. And then as the earth warmed a little bit and got wetter, that forest could expand. Same with Asian forests. There are about 320 species, 14,000 individual trees, we can rank them in terms of abundance, in terms of volume, wood volume, or what's called you know, basal area. But this tree that we're looking at now, Santeria apiculata, this was in 1993 the most abundant tree with about a thousand individuals, plus minus. So that's like one in every 12, 13 trees was one of these. So it made up about 7% of the individuals in the plot. But in the past 25 years, this centuria is still abundant, but it's declined by about 15%. So it's, and it's been a slow, slow reduction in, in individuals. So it's not like tanked completely, but, but you can see fewer and fewer. And where the mortality is, is it among the small ones or larger ones would, would be very um, insightful. On, in contrast, the Campanese, that Streblis, which was number two in abundance in 1993, it's head and shoulders, you know, the most abundant tree in our plot. That one has increased by 30%. Yeah, so what we're finding is those trees which we know 
uh, to be the ones that thrive on these exposed ridges. If you have trees that have increased by quite a bit over the past 25 years, they're disproportionately the ones that you find in drier habitats. In every part of the world, plants rely greatly on cues from their environment. This includes changes in sunlight, temperature and rainfall to determine when to start producing leaves, flowers or fruit. Along with other photosynthesizing organisms, plants support the rest of the food web and hence any climatic shifts will result in changes to rainforest ecosystems. The working hypothesis is that some of the changes that we're seeing um, have to do with these you know, medium-term changes in weather patterns, so maybe more intense dry periods. M most years are fine, but if you remember like 2015 was the driest year on record. 97 was that super drought, that, that super El Nino, that really whacked this region really hard. 1990 was also another big... So could it be that what we're seeing are the effects of these periodic but really intense dry periods that we're seeing perhaps a little bit more of these days. And now we want to test that. If, if that's true, then I, if we could extrapolate, you know, look into a very imprecise you know, crystal ball, the, the guess is that this gradual shifting to a more seasonal type of climate where you have more frequent dry seasons and maybe longer, more intense dry periods, not quite like a seasonal forest if you go to Thailand where you have three months, four months, no rain, but even something like four, five, six weeks of no rain is something that could be beyond the comfort zone of a lot of our species. And what I would expect to find, if that's true, is that more and more of these drought-sensitive species will slowly decline and some we may, the more sensitive ones, I think we might actually lose from our forests. Doesn't mean that they're going to go extinct on the planet. They might still persist in some of these wetter, more humid places, but we might lose them from Singapore. Besides the size of tree populations, forest diversity also fluctuates in interesting ways based on changes in wildlife populations. One example was there are these trees that are dispersed by large birds. They're called nutmegs. In the forest, they tend to be dispersed by large monkeys, which we don't have anymore. We have the macaque which still disperses, but not as effectively as even larger gibbons or say orangutan. And they're also dispersed by um, a, a group of pigeons called imperial pigeons, which also have been absent from our forest for a hundred years. And they're also dispersed by hornbills, which until very recently have also been absent for over a century. And even our oriental pied hornbill, the one that's come back is a little one and it doesn't really come into these forests. It looked like the regeneration rate on nutmegs was actually lower than compared to the non-nutmegs. At the moment, Dr. Lum says Singapore's forests are thriving at an acceptable level, but he can't quite put his foot on whether the changes they've observed are positive or negative. So far, what researchers have been able to prove is that just like us, forests migrate for their survival. However, a lack of historical data and ongoing research means that the scale of these changes is yet to be fully understood. Scientists elsewhere say that the problem now is that forests simply can't move fast enough. To put that into perspective, the average forest migrates at a rate of about 500 meters yearly. And to outrun climate change or just to keep up, it must move up to 10 times as fast. But in most developed countries, Urban buildings, highways, suburban sprawl and mega farms prevent forests from expanding. 
Actually, there's been some really detailed work coming out of the Amazon because that's where a lot of work has been focused. And some of these studies are showing, for example, that trees, they're still growing, but the growth rates are declining. So the annual growth, what's called relative growth rates, they're on the decline. Similar things have been found in Malaysia too. So what we do know is that across the tropics, trees are growing a little bit more slowly. If trees grow more slowly, that means they absorb less and less carbon. There are studies that have shown that in parts of the Amazon, these woody vines called lianas are getting more common at the expense of trees. Lianas don't store as much carbon. And in some studies, they've shown that, you know, where the forests are disturbed even more, really pushed to the brink by things like being fragmented, by the increase in aridity, some uh, more forest fires. In parts of the world where they have traditionally don't burn, they're now burning in the tropics, parts of these vast forests have become net emitters of carbon dioxide. That's very alarming because that has really big implications for both global sort of climate impacts as well as localized things like weather patterns. Because these forests like the Amazon or, or our rainforests, they transpire, right? They take in water and they evaporate at the canopy. There's so much water being evaporated through these forests that the forests, that water vapor becomes clouds. And, you know, it's basically your weather, regional weather system is greatly impacted by the presence uh, of rainforest. And you take those rainforests away uh, and that could mean less rain or very, very dramatic shifts in local and regional climate. That is a worry. There's a lot of research showing that maybe some of these great forest systems are reaching a tipping point. So it's not like if you have these vast forests that go from forest to grassland that they'll easily bounce back to rainforest. It's either you get a rainforest system, which is quite resilient, break the resilience of that rainforest and a shift to a completely different type of ecosystem. And that would be potentially catastrophic. That was Climate Connections on Money FM 89.3. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A W E D I O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.